been doing is always fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And so even here in the conclusion of 15, you see, and so fulfill what the Lord has said. One of the most frequently used words in the Gospel of Matthew is the word fulfilled. And so just, you know, put that in, in your brain that Matthew's burden is to help us to see how Jesus is really fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament predicting the Messiah who's coming. Now, listen, I want to put on the, the workbench of your mind some things to glean from this text because there's some really important pieces for us to get hold of. And there's four of them. You ready? The first is, and I've said this already, when God is at work, the enemy will soon show up too. Expect a fight. That's principle one that you grab from this scripture is um, many times I think we, we really do hope for the Thomas Kincaid-like scenes. But the reality is, is when God is working, the enemy does not like that. And there's going to be a war. So, number two, we need to listen for God's warning alarms. He has them. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. How do we listen for those? And then not just listen, but thirdly, obey what we hear. So as good parents, when your kid who's two years old is wandering towards the highway and you go, get away from the road, what do you want him to do right then? Get away from the road, right? You don't want him just to hear him wander into the highway. No, it's like listen and obey. So we need to learn to obey what we've heard. And then finally, we need to grow uh, more certain as we move through life that God is our ultimate safe place. That even though we have an enemy, that God is always about the business of unveiling the enemy's plans if we'll listen, if we'll pay attention. So those are the things that we're going to pull out from this text. So let's take a closer look. Number one, when God is at work, the enemy will soon show up too. I want you to notice something in in verse 13. Joseph does not know that the enemy is coming, does he? He doesn't know. It says, when they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to kill. You see, Joseph didn't know. But God does. There are many things that are, that are happening in the spiritual realm. There's many things that are, that are happening in our lives that God wants to give us a heads up on. And he wants to give us a forewarning about. And we need to, I think Joseph probably was on a little bit of a red alert anyhow because of all the stuff that was going on. But God spoke to him in a way to really heighten his alarm and to go, oh, look, here's the enemy. When we were uh, vacationing, when our kids were littler in Florida, we were driving down, I think the, the, the busy highway in Florida is Florida 1 or something like that. It's a crazy road. And people, I think they think they're NASCAR drivers, you know, and they're zooming around. And we were in our minivan driving along. And all of a sudden, I, it's like I heard inside of me this loud boom. But it wasn't outside, it was inside. And it was really weird, but it was enough to make me go, wow, what was that? Betsy said to me, she goes, you're okay. And I said, something's going on. I'm not quite sure. And I backed the car off. As I backed the car off, I moved to the, the uh, furthest right lane. It was, I think it was a four-lane road. And all of a sudden, the car that was right next to me started spinning donuts on the highway. 
at about 75, 80 miles an hour. If we'd have not slowed down and moved aside, we'd have been in a big pileup. And I realized at the moment, I, I had no idea that that was happening, that was going to happen. But God had a way of getting my attention, but getting my attention was enough. I needed to somehow respond to what he was saying. And so uh, God is about the business of getting hold of us and capturing our attention so that we can be safe. Now, I want us to think about Herod for a minute. Herod the Great is this guy's name. He's not so great. I mean, this guy, uh, I think history shows he had seven different wives. Some of his wives he killed. His first wife, he decided he found a prettier girl, so he sent her home with their three-year-old son and just promptly married this next girl. Um, If you didn't agree with his political slants on things, you would quickly be dealt with that way. This guy is not a nice guy. He was a master manipulator. And in fact, he was thrust from his control in the region at one point in time, went back to Rome, lobbied the Senate, and so successfully manipulated them with his power and his politics that they literally called him the king of the Jews and sent him back. That's one of the reasons he's alarmed by this, is he thinks he's the king of the Jews. And he's got this demented power craving going on. In many ways, Satan's a lot like Herod. He's he's not the king, but he likes to think he is. He's not the ruler of this earth, but he likes to act that way. And he's always moving around in a way where he's trying to manipulate and politicize different things to create this sense that he really is the ruler. He's not the ruler. And some Christians will get caught in this idea, and and we need to spell this out. Satan is not equal power to God. If if, if you think, for example, Satan is omnipresent, you're wrong. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't contain the omnipresence that God contains. God can be in things, all things, everywhere, all times. Satan can't do that. Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. And so, just like Herod shows up late to this party, the enemy is often showing up late after the work of God has started. Do you see this? And I want you to recognize something because many times we ascribe power to Satan that truly isn't his. But that's the mastery of his manipulation. He wants you to believe that he does have that kind of power. Now, I'm not saying, and we'll get into this a little bit, that you should be going around rebuking Satan. There's places in Scripture where it warns us on our practice of spiritual warfare, and that's not the goal today. But I I just want you to recognize that Satan operates a lot like Herod. He does his best work when he does deceptive things. He tries to trick you. He tries to deceive you. He tries to manipulate you. And that's what he's always working on. And if he can't trick you and can't deceive you, usually he can't get through to you. But he is not like God. He's not all-powerful. He's not ever-present, ever on the present. He's not omnipotent. So let's not ascribe those things, because I think sometimes we can. Do you know what I mean when I say that to you? So Herod operates like a type of Satan here. 
I mean, look what he does. He says to the Magi, when, when he meets the Magi and he finds out about this baby king, Herod says, well, let me know where he is so I can go worship him. You don't believe that, do you? You know exactly what he's up to. What does he want to do to go see the boy king? He wants to end the boy king. And see, it's that manipulation. It's this, this kind of super creepy thing. And the Magi were discerning. I mean, when they left, can you imagine their conversation? Like, that dude was creepy. And so, you know, you see Satan's tactics operating in Herod's life. He's trying to manipulate the situation. He's trying to lie and use deceit to get in there. And the key for us to remember when we're engaged in spiritual warfare is James 4, 7. This is very critical. This is what James, the writer, says. He says, submit yourselves then to God, first and foremost. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because too often what happens is is we get caught in a spiritual fight and we're engaging ourselves with the devil. And the longer that you listen to the liar and listen to his web of deceit, the more likely you are to get tangled up in it. Because if you go back to the beginning of the book in Genesis 3, the smartest thing that Adam and Eve could have done when Satan shows up and starts pitching them and says, hey, did God really say you can't eat of any of these trees? You know what they should have said? They should have said what you taught all your kids when they were little. Don't talk to strangers. They should have said, you know what? My father says, don't talk to creepy strangers, and you're one of them. See ya. That would have ended it. And oftentimes in spiritual warfare, we get tangled up when we're spending too much time entertaining the thoughts or the reasons or the pitches that the enemy is sending our way. You see what I'm saying? And so, yes, there is an enemy. And yes, that enemy loves to use deceitfulness to trick us. We need to realize he doesn't have a lot of power. Submit yourselves to God. And from that place, resist the enemy. And he will flee from you. So, if we should expect to fight, we can also, from this text, expect that God's going to warn us about what's coming. We can can have one up on this enemy that comes to try to stir up. You know, many times these warnings that come are quieter, but they're still enough for us to notice. They're, they're, They're little promptings. And isn't it interesting, you know, you you look at Joseph's story in the Christmas stories. How does God speak to him? In dreams. How many of you get dreams from the Lord? I I don't. I don't, you know, I could count in 30 plus years the times where I felt like I've gotten a message from God in a dream. My messages usually come in a prompting. I, I, I have a sense. Uh a thought. And I think it's important for you to discern how God prompts you. You need to think about this because there can be all kinds of promptings that God wants to send your way to give you the heads up on what the enemy is going to do. For example, one time I was taking Ben to physical therapy appointment and that's over in Plymouth and we're coming back. And of course, he's a teenage boy. He says, dad, I'm really hungry. Surprise, surprise. So I said, what do you want to do? He said, well, let's get a hamburger. Okay. So we, we pull into Champs in New Brighton to get a hamburger. And it's like quarter to seven, right? And it's a big parking lot. There's all kinds of things around it. So we had left early to go to the physical therapy appointment. And I had brought my um, 
iPad with me to do some work, and he had brought his computer with him to do some schoolwork, and then we went to the physical therapy. So our bags are in the back seat of the car. And I got up out of the car, and I closed the door, and I, I look in the back window, and I, I notice the bags. And I, I got a prompting. That little tiny voice said to me, do something with those bags. And being the sharp, responsive young man that I am, what did I do? La, 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 la. I'm thinking hamburgers. So what happens? We go in, we get our hamburger, we come out, we're walking towards the car, and Ben goes, what's all over the ground? Well, it was the window from our car. Someone had busted the back window out, grabbed those backpacks, and took them. So I'm out the iPad, and he's out the computer. And I didn't listen to the promptings. And I said to Ben, I said, oh, get a big stick and hit me over the head. Why didn't I listen to the prompting? So let me ask you, do you guys know how does God prompt you? You need to pay attention. There's a certain kind of way. I don't get it in dreams. It's probably a good thing I'm not dreaming while I'm driving the car to go get a hamburger, right? But the important thing is God speaks to us in ways that stands out from other thoughts or voices that are going on in our life. And he's trying to get our attention so that we can respond. You need to watch for that. God promises to give all of us that. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. So we all need to grow more confident in hearing the voice of the Lord because God knows the enemy's on the prowl and he wants to give you the heads up. So the third point, then, that's very important is it's not enough to hear the promptings. You've got to obey them. You've got to respond. And when you look at what Joseph did in the story, it's, here he gets this dream. And if you go back to the verse, take a look at the verse with me. It says in verse 13, um, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And this is interesting. He says, get up. Get up. Not a posture of passivity. It's, it's a posture of activity. Get up. And then it says in verse 14, so he got up. He took the child and his mom during the night and they left for the airport. Not really, but I don't know, you know what, how that, that worked. But the, the real fight that happens in this moment is not so much the fight with this enemy who's coming. It's the fight of faith. Do I really believe what I've heard God say enough to act on it? Get up. That was not convenient. It was the middle of the night with a newborn. So those of you moms that have born children and you're happy to catch some winks, are you going to be happy with your hubby who says, Psst, Betsy, wake up. Why? Because we're leaving for Egypt. You'd knock him right in the noggin, wouldn't you? I mean, it's, there's nothing convenient about what's transpiring here. But Joseph is confident enough in what he's heard from God to actually act on it. The warnings will not help you if you don't respond. And I don't know how many times I've, I've had... People that will come in and share stories with me and tell me, I, I should have. They're like me. I, I should have stuck those bags in the trunk. I should have stopped. It would have been 30 seconds. 
right? But no, I didn't hear and obey. I just heard and kept moving. So we've really got to lock in. God wants to warn us, so we need to pay attention. How does he do that? And then after he's done it, do we respond rightly? Do we get up and do what he's saying? That's the lesson of Joseph in this moment. And lastly, you know, realizing that there's going to be a fight, that God wants to warn us about the fight, but he also wants us to do our part, act on that. He also wants us to have a continual revelation that he is always our safe place. How many times in the Psalms does David, who's running away from a mad king who wants to kill him, how often does he call God his high tower, his rock, his refuge, his place of hiding, under the shadow of the Almighty? He keeps recounting over and over again, God will always be my safe place. Don't leave today focusing on the enemy. Leave today focusing on the fact that God is always your safe place. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am your shield. I am your strong right hand. So in Matthew 2.15, this is what it says. It says, he stayed there until the death of Herod. And so fulfilled, there's Matthew, what the Lord had said about the son. Out of Egypt I called my son. So God is always giving us safety and a safe place to abide. You know, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 2.14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as his captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So he's leading us in this thing and helping us to walk along in life's way. There's a story of a couple of guys that are hanging out together. And uh, one of them happens to be an international chess champion, a brilliant chess player. And they're, they're longtime friends. And they decide that as they're getting uh, reacquainted in their uh, friendship, they decide to go to a museum. And uh, there's a section there with paintings. And as they're walking through, the one fellow who's the chess player notices that there's a painting on the wall depicting a chess game. So, of course, he's drawn to that. And he walks over to take a look at it. And, and in, the, in the picture, one of the players who seems to have the upper hand looks like the devil, how we would depict him. He's red and got kind of a wicked-looking face on him and pointy kinds of ears. And uh, the other guy is... Looks like he's in trouble. He's got kind of a panicky look on there. And the title of the painting is called Checkmate. And so this chess champion is looking at the board, and his friend can tell that he's thinking. And he he says, what are you doing? He goes, there's something wrong with this painting. He said, what do you mean there's something wrong with the painting? He goes, it shouldn't be called Checkmate. Well, what do you mean it shouldn't be called Checkmate? He said, well, we should contact the guy who painted this and tell him he's got to change this painting or change the name of the painting because it's not a checkmate. And the guy goes, will you tell me why is it not a checkmate? And he says, well, here's why. The king has one more move. A little boy, David, is up against a giant named Goliath. It looks bleak, but the king has one more move. Moses is leading a nation. It's taken time to get them out of their slavery And the crazed king who forfeited them is now pursuing them with the world's largest army. And they seem trapped between that army and the Red Sea. But the king has one more move. 
Jesus comes to earth as a baby. Satan hears about it. He's coming to ruin the party. King has one more move. Finally, after over 30 years of pursuing this king of the Jews, Satan thinks he has him. He's convinced people that he's really not the son of God and that they should kill him. And so on Calvary, on a cross, he stretches out, breathes his last, says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They pull him down. A group of outsiders take him and put him in a borrowed tomb. And Satan thinks he's won. But, people, the king has one more move. In your life, in your walk, expect a fight. It will come. Expect God to speak to you and give you warnings and to give you a way. And always, ladies and gentlemen, expect the king always has one more move. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our heart for offering I pray that we would also offer the concerns of our heart. I think some people know that they're probably in a hot spot right now. You may even be taking this message to warn them about something. I pray that they would be more quick of heart than me and listen to those warnings and respond to them. But Lord, above all else, as we prepare to give, Lord, I pray that we would receive from you in a fresh way, the confidence that you are a God who is always with us. You are a God who knows all things, and you'll warn us. And you'll not just warn us, but you'll lead us. That you're always giving us a safe place. Thank you for being the king who always has one more move. In Jesus' name, amen.